Hi there, my name is Lesha Bouchak, and I'm a senior reporter at MMM. I'm super excited to be part of today's sponsored podcast with Frisia. Here with me today is Thea Briggs, Director of Strategy at Frisia, and Igbawe Pella, Senior Vice President, Group Media Lead at CMI Media Group. Hi, Thea and Igbawe. Great to have you both here. Happy to be here. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Today, we're going to be chatting about reaching underserved patients with the health content they need. Historically, marginalized groups often face barriers to accessing healthcare, from cultural and language differences to economic and geographic disadvantages. And because of these barriers, patients in these communities don't always get the health content, resources, and support they need. Effectively reaching and activating these patients to participate in healthcare decision making requires a concerted effort, not only to tailor content so that it resonates with their experiences but also to remove barriers to education and access. Thea and Egbawe will help us explore some strategies that can move the needle and improve health equity for patients in underserved communities. Now, this is a topic that's certainly been top of mind for most in the industry. So let's start out by talking about what some of the challenges are. What are the biggest challenges when it comes to reaching patients in historically marginalized groups? Yeah, I think it's a very top of mind subject for a lot of us these days, as it should be. I think from my perspective, there are twin problems that come up when trying to serve patients from these types of populations. And those twin challenges are, in my mind, assuming that we know what they need and over-problematizing or describing problems in terms that might make sense to us, but aren't necessarily how uh, people within those communities have been experiencing their lives. We often, in best intentions, try to approach problems and figure out solutions, but it's really important to not make assumptions about how a population views a health problem that they may be seeing and really listen to what they've been doing prior to getting involved, right? Because a lot of these communities, whether it's a low resource community or a community that has faced stigma or a host of other things, have been working around problems facing their community from a health perspective and may have assets that we aren't thinking about. And so I think it's really important to start from a place of looking at the data, of course, and and sometimes it's easy, right? We know that if you don't speak a language, it's very challenging to understand materials in that language. But generally speaking, I think some of the biggest challenges start from a point of ignorance and maybe not asking enough questions to get going. That's a great point. And to add to that, I think um, the biggest challenges that I see is really one of our own creation, where as marketers and media folks, we get into that analysis by paralysis and are afraid to do anything and really not taking that leap. And um, the data shows more and more Every marginalized community wants to be seen, wants to see themselves represented in media, wants to see themselves being talked to, wants to be talked to throughout the year, not just occasionally during socially relevant month, right? Getting out there and really getting into those communities, being into those communities, I think is extremely important. But the the challenge that we face is just that where to get started, how to get started. But I think um, once we're able to kind of remove some of those barriers and some of those over analysis that we're doing of who we're reaching, where we're reaching, how we're reaching them, are we offending anyone or whatever the case may be, there's going to be some missteps. We've seen them out there, but I think the companies that win and the 
opportunities that win are those that kind of take the risk, take the gloves off and kind of just go all in, just jump in and kind of just start to see how these communities are going to start to responding to them with the messages that are put into market. Now, one of the ideas that we've heard a lot about is sort of this idea of establishing trust with patients who maybe in the past haven't felt validated or seen or understood by the healthcare system. Going off on what you mentioned, Igbawe, of just to get started, how can you begin to establish trust with patients? Show up on Pride Month or show up on Black History Month, really showing up. And then the other point is the creative, what are you showing up with once you get there? I think having the right people in the room, making sure that the messages that you're putting out there have some kind of rigor to it, right? Like is, do you have the people that you are trying to reach in the room, making the decisions with the content and places that you're looking to be in market, right? And so it's important to build that trust and you're, you're able to gain that trust with authentic message. Does this resonate with the people that we're trying to reach? And how do we do that? Like have the people that you're trying to reach part of that decision-making process. And then, like I said before, be part of those group, really join the conversation, be in the conversation and not just once a year or one week out of the year, it becomes offensive and there's no way to bring trust if you're not really there living life with them and being part of that community's every day. I couldn't agree more. Part of what it means to be with them is to think about things from their perspective. Health is a form of identity as well now. And so understanding how a given population and within that, a population of people who are dealing with a specific condition or set of conditions understand themselves in relation to that condition or that need. So for example, if they're dealing with comorbidities, do they prioritize which comorbidities they're thinking about first? Understanding that is a really useful way to help and serve. And I think that it's really critical to place people from those communities deep into the process, but also really come to understand not just a narrow view of one particular problem, but what that person or people are dealing with holistically. There are things that like mental health and like stigma that are connected to a lot of conditions and get sort of left on the side, but they're not left on the side to the people who are living with those conditions. Brand teams and folks who are in the research communities who figure out how to participate with multiple facets of what it means to live with a condition are going to be the ones that help really say things that resonate. And that's where trust is built, right? Because you know, from a creative perspective, if you see something and it's exactly what you feel. That is the first part of feeling seen. I think the other part about helping establish trust is understanding that taking action is really necessary when it comes to health, right? It's not just about feeling seen or being seen or having representation from like a visual perspective. Um, so figuring out from an action perspective, how do these populations on a given project what do they need to talk with healthcare professionals? What questions do they have? What do they know about different specialists or how do they interact with their pharmacist? There's a host of different things that if you want to build trust, you actually have to kind of understand where their challenges are and equip them with things that they can use in a really easy to understand way in the language that they understand and using the vocabulary that they would use naturally. So understanding those things and then kind of echoing it back is a really great way to build trust. How critical is market research in validating your approach to patient outreach? People hear market research, sometimes that means one particular thing, and it's not necessarily as large scale and quantitative as one might think of at first blush, right? So 
qualitative research is a super important tool. It helps us understand how different communities speak about conditions or medications or their needs, and it can really bring a lot of color and it's best used, right, when in combination with quantitative research. I think it's really important. And sometimes what that means is just making sure you're not excluding a group accidentally. I think it's a little unrealistic when we talk about health equity to imagine that we are always going to have a piece of material that is personally relevant to each human. And there's a lot of variation within a population that might be changing with some of the things we're seeing around generative AI and creative. At least to date, it hasn't been possible to make a perfect piece for every individual human. And so making sure that you're at least not excluding or offending people who you intend to be a recipient of a message is a good place to start. And research can be very valuable for that. To add to that, I wanted to hone in on a point that Thea made, which was it doesn't have to be a large scale like quantitative study, right? There's a lot of useful qualitative insights that we have and um, companies have in order to use for market research or a or market research proxy in order to go into market. What I see more than anything is organizations waiting for this huge quantitative study before they go into market with something like this. Like I said before, there's so much that could be done to just get market and really see what happens as you go in there. Some qualitative insights that you can gain are garnered from agencies and partners and internal teams and community leaders, various places and people that we readily have access to that we don't necessarily have to go into this large scale study, right? And so utilizing some of those insights and research and people and tools that we have available is an easy way to kind of just get into market quickly without really waiting for and pushing for that huge qualitative or quantitative uh, market research study. I totally agree. And I think that if we wait for those kinds of reports, sometimes those can become barriers to taking action as well. I think this is a great place to look at our colleagues in engineering, right? There's a waterfall approach and there's an agile approach and starting small and testing and learning and doing it quickly. It doesn't mean you're not working with data. It just means that you're working on a different timescale and you have to take action. The problems are too big not to be moving on these things. Now, one of the goals of health equity is to create content that resonates with patients' lived experiences. What would you say are some key ways of doing that? So I think like for me, the key to that question is lived experiences. And I think um, far too often I see in various advertisements imagery that doesn't necessarily fit a particular audience or a particular group that the team is intending to reach. And the other thought with that is that any cultural group or minority group is not a monolith, right? And so not every one image is going to fit, but there's very specific things that you can do to try to at least get the group that you're looking for. If you're looking to target low-income African-American patients or low-income African-American groups in city areas, there's no need to have a Black man or a Black family hiking with his kids, right? Like that doesn't necessarily fit the group that we're looking for. So making sure that, again, the people in the room... As these decisions are made, making sure that we're truly creating imagery messaging that resonates with that audience and not just putting Black men, Black women, Hispanic people, Asian women, LGBTQ in an ad, but we're actually speaking to those demographics that we are truly looking to engage with, right? And so it's not just throw somebody, throw a Black person on an ad. It's really thinking about who 
specifically within that audience, within that group are we looking to reach and what specific messaging or imagery can we really put in front of them that we feel is going to really resonate with them. Theo talked earlier about kind of using the language of that audience. Another thing that's extremely important, right? Like if it's a television ad and we're looking to speak to that audience, making sure that we're using language that fits that audience, not just something that we feel is professional or that we want to use. I would also just add that I think the type of medium is really important to think about, right? Video and audio and written material and imagery have different ways of being processed. And some of them are more accessible over certain barriers like language, or they have, there's technological assists, right? With things like automatic translation or closed captioning or things like that. And so thinking really carefully, not only about the creative concepts and the details about language and things of that nature, but also thinking about how, in fact, that's going to from a sensory perspective, be communicated out is really important because I think if you look at the world of people creating this content, the education level, the vocabulary, there's sort of consistencies that aren't true for all American populations. And so we can get a little bit stuck and sometimes it's required, right? Like medical terminology is kind of advanced and like there's all sorts of languages that we need to incorporate into these messages that aren't easy to simplify. And sometimes you don't have to simplify the language. You might lose the meaning, but communicating it in a different way, like having it in a video where you can overlay text and audio and imagery at the same time can help reach more folks because people learn differently, right? Like they're neurotypical people is one community. There's a lot of folks who don't process information well from text, for example. And so thinking through ways to make the actual content itself digestible is super important. When you're curating content or support resources for specific patient populations, how can you ensure that the content reaches them? Yeah, so I think this is another extremely important one, but I touched earlier about kind of just being in the places where those communities are. And I think it's so important, both online and offline, um, as we talked about the messaging, the various channels we can reach them, being in the places where these communities are congregating and being part of that community is extremely important. Other part is being intentional, being intentional with the partners and publishers that we're reaching out to. There's a stat that was going around not too long ago that showed kind of um, traditional media and how that reaches various ethnic groups. And what we saw is overwhelmingly when we kind of just put, if you just take like, for example, a broad programmatic buy overwhelmingly we'll be reaching the majority audience. When we start looking at the various cross-cultural groups that we're, we're looking to reach, those broad buys under-index in every minority group that we were looking to reach, right? And so making sure that we're utilizing and reusing partners and publishers that over-index in the group that we're looking for is going to be key to make sure that the content that we've worked so hard to create is actually reaching the group that it's intended to reach. I think there is a quantitative component like over-indexing. There's also a qualitative component, right? So if you've designed this piece of creative, you've been super thoughtful about it and you place it in an environment that is literally not reaching the community, that's one problem. You can also place it in a, a moment where 
someone from the kind of audience you're looking to talk to does see it, but it's not space or a channel that they trust, right? And so I think one thing that's really important to consider is thinking about that halo effect of where you are placing materials for these communities. You sometimes have to think a little bit outside the box. And I think public health has been doing this for a long time. So figuring out, for example, like sometimes it's faith leaders who are giving health guidance and sometimes it's in barbershops and sometimes it's at school and sometimes digital channels are the best way to do it. And within that, there's a whole host of color, right? There's a whole host of different spaces that are created for specific communities and knowing what the audience thinks of the channel that you're considering is super important so that you're making thoughtful choices and really putting things in a context that they trust. Because even the best creative placed in a context they don't trust, there's going to be some tension there. You've both touched on some really important points, you know, things like how to build trust, creating content that resonates with patients' lived experiences, and then how to reach them. Um, But my final question is around how to activate underserved patients to participate in their care and treatment decisions. What are some effective strategies for that? Yeah, so I think really nailing that messaging is extremely key, Um, making sure that we're truly speaking to the patients in an authentic way to get them into the HCP is going to be extremely key. Um, Thea talked earlier about uh, caregivers. Um, who who do they trust? Right, making sure that we're also reaching out to caregivers or other other groups or other individuals that they that they trust to make sure they are utilizing them to get patients into. Um, into their caregiver, into their healthcare professionals for the for those uh, um, treatment decisions. And on the HCP side, arming the HCPs with the information as patients are are going to come in. Um, patients aren't trusting healthcare as a whole, right? And part of that is is the caregiver because they've been underserved or missed or untrusted or whatever the case may be, right? And so making sure that we're truly arming the HCPs with the relevant educational information that they would need in order to, t- in order to better serve our underserved populations. Um, some groups would, would never come talk to an HCP. So if you're able to get somebody into um, an HCP office and you have a couple moments to kind of assess what's going on, you want to make sure you're really arming them with all the all the appropriate information that they need in order to treat um, patients effectively. Yeah, absolutely. I think when you have a small window, you have to know what you're supporting and be able to work with existing behavioral patterns and really just nudge. You don't have time to give them a full dissertation and that might not work for them even if you did have time. Um, So figuring out how you can nudge is really important. I think including voices from peers is super effective from a creative perspective, right? Patients trust other patients. There's a social component there. And we've seen that in things like quantitative star ratings, but bots are all over the place. And so that can be really misleading. What can have a huge impact is hearing from another person who looks like you, who sounds like you, who's dealing with the same questions as you're dealing with. And so uh, bringing that in where you can is it can be really important and impactful. Um, I think breaking it down and making it super practical. Sometimes we think that it's information that's going to change a behavior and it's not. It's like a question of how do I get to the appointment (laughs) or am I really due for this? Like, oh, I just needed a reminder. So it's not actually that, that the, you know, the the raw data is going to convince people. You have to really speak into what they're listening to. Um, 
And I always think that it's important when we talk about this also to acknowledge that when we talk about activating patients, especially activating underserved patients, the onus can't just be with the individual. There are systemic problems and community level problems that need different levels of support. And so, yes, it's very important and there are great ways to activate patients. But one of the things that is is part of that in my mind is giving them context around why certain things feel so hard and how they can advocate for themselves more effectively if there are systemic challenges that they are going to run into. It's better that we prepare them and figure out how to equip them with the information, but also the skills and just very straightforward information, tools, tips, questions to ask, guides, symptom trackers, all of those kinds of materials um, that acknowledge that they might be playing a tougher game um, because that's the reality of the situation. And I think it can be very validating. You have to be careful with that kind of messaging, not to um, not to accidentally discourage populations. Um, but it's important that these communities understand that it's not a lack of will, um, that they might be experiencing more challenges than, than someone else uh, who lives a, a zip code away. I think that's a great point and something that I, w- I was just thinking as you were talking. So often in pharma, we end up speaking to ourselves, where if you think about your diabetes drug and you say, hey, um, have you checked your A1C today? For a patient that has never been to the doctors and don't know they have diabetes, that doesn't resonate with them, right? And so being able to, Thea talked about um, symptom trackers, being able to message in a way that truly meets them where they're at, not where we think they should be or where we think they're at, is extremely important to make sure that we're really trying to meet them where they're at in order to begin to activate them or the caregivers or whoever needs to hear that particular messaging to actually look to seek care. I would just say briefly, that means that you might need to make multiple different pieces for different populations. And it also means that you might need to make multiple different pieces for different layers of a journey, right? You're not going to be able to get someone at the very beginning to do something at someone at the very end of a knowledge journey, or uh, even if they're at the same clinical step, right? So it's not just, I need to track my symptoms. I need to get a diagnosis. I need to get a treatment. I need to evaluate the treatment. I need to stay on treatment. That's part of it. But there's also the individual approach to each one of those steps. Am I ready to track my symptoms? Do I even know what symptoms are associated with a given condition I've been told I maybe have? So there's a lot of nuance here and thinking about those moments and where you can make the biggest difference is super important, but it does mean that you're going to have to scaffold your information. And that's like a classic concept from the educational space that we can learn from and, and do better at, I think. As you start talking about journeys, you can, I, that, that's that's my happy place. I think that, <laughs> uh, that that's, so, that's so on point. And I think as marketers, it's our job to really go that extra creative, to speak to the patients at different points and really create campaign that does just that. It's not just throw everything out there. They'll see it where, where it's at. We have the tools and the capabilities and the technology and the data currently to make sure that we are truly speaking to a patient where and when they are in their journey in various channels. So it's really on us to make sure we're, do, we're taking that extra step to really create segment and journey specific plans to meet those patients truly where they are at. 
Absolutely. What we see today in terms of challenges don't need to be that way. As a community of professionals, we're not selling toasters. It is an immense amount of responsibility. The privilege we have to be involved in these people's lives requires that of us. I'm just glad that we get to chat about it, see the things that we're seeing, because I think there's some amazing work being done in these spaces, especially in recent years. And I think there's so much more that can be done. Absolutely. That's a good note to wrap up the conversation. So thank you so much, Thea and Nikbawe, for shedding light on this important issue and offering your insight on how to best reach patients in underserved communities. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast with Thea Briggs, Director of Strategy at Frisia, and Igbawe Pella, Senior Vice President, Group Media Lead at CMI Media Group. Thank you both so much for being a part of it. Thank you. Thanks. And thanks to our audience for listening. Come back soon for another one. This is Lesha Bouchak for the MMM Podcast. Take care. <laughs>